time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never Is that your scotch early in the background? Can you hear it? That's awesome. It is. So I'm I'm a big fan of Japanese whiskey as a fun little niche, so to speak. And um, of all people to get me into it, uh, this one is always kind of a kicker because it's so left field. Um, PewDiePie, the big YouTuber, made a video on like a 20 minute video of him talking about Japanese whiskey, why he likes it, and then him testing different ones. And um, it inspired me to, you know, just try a bottle and uh ended up falling in love with it so right now i have uh, a nika coffee grain whiskey um which is from the i want to say nika province in japan uh they also make gin and that their gin is incredible as well it's very floral but if you like that then it'll Wait, be so right what's the, the, the brand is nika yep n-i-k-k-a i believe um and then the uh the Coffee is spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y. But if you type in like Nika Coffee Whiskey um, or Nika Coffee wi- Gin, then you'll see uh, the bottles. Uh, and this is kind of a funny story. I, I got into my career because I was uh, I became infatuated with the uh, kind of gaming entertainment space. And more specifically, how uh, there were a handful of gamers creating content on YouTube and distributing it. And the content was quite literally just them playing video games, but they, and this was when I was quite a bit younger, but um, they would play games that, you know, I thought were particularly interesting and that I enjoyed playing myself. And so I always thought it was really interesting to watch other people and kind of get their insight or their strategies or whatever. And um, I remember I, as a kid, I ended up saving up some money to buy this thing called a Hopog HD PVR, which allowed you to record your video (laughs) game gameplay. <laughs> okay, keep going, and, keep going. What, and, what system was this, by the way? Uh, so it was on Xbox 360. Okay. And uh, it allowed me to record my video game gameplay. But the downside was that even if your Hopog was plugged into your laptop and uh, you were ready to record, um, even though you could quite literally go into the system and look back at old footage that wasn't recorded, even though you didn't press the record button, there was no way of saving it. And so it happened to me a few times, you know, and I'm like early teenager and I thought that I did something super cool in Call of Duty and I'd look back at my computer and I realized that I didn't click the record button. And so you kind of have this moment of sadness where you're watching the footage that you so badly wish that you recorded on your laptop and there's nothing that you can do to historically record it, um, even though it's right there in front of you. And it was just like (laughs) this heartbreaking thing, just knowing that there's no way of restoring it. Got you into social media marketing? Is that the right way uh, to you know talk about what you do? Like if I described, I, I just <laughs> talked about you in marketing, but you're in this very specific niche. Yeah. So like, how do you describe what you do to people? Uh, so uh, today, I mean, not on the elevator, but like you know when you <laughs> somebody you know at a friend's house who says, "Hey, they could use your help," and you're like, "Yeah, of course." Like, what do uh, you do? You know, you know, today, the way that I would describe it is that, um, so I run a company called Notice, as you know, and um, essentially our focus is to help uh, entrepreneurs, executives, uh, and other business leaders or individuals with some sort of particular mission or vision that they have that they want to distribute at scale. 
and we help them connect with their current and future customers online, mainly on LinkedIn, um, because most of our clients end up being in the B2B space. Um, and because of that, LinkedIn is kind of the hub for that content. So through a series of content marketing efforts where we create content around them as a personality, them being the uh, you know CEO or the founder or some executive at the company, we create content around them sharing their thoughts on uh, like their broader expertise on the industry that they're in, uh, giving insights on the you know more meticulous processes that go into the companies that they run and things like that. So that they're both kind of uh, demonstrating broader expertise in their industry while simultaneously showing that they know how to contextualize that and give tactical advice. And more or less that content helps po- position them as a thought leader and get them, uh, you know, featured on different uh, media outlets, whether those are small blogs or if they're actually interviews with, uh, you know, somebody like Forbes. And simultaneously, it helps attract the right audiences that they're going after so that they can then kind of build trust around their company kind of by proxy of the fact that they have a reputable personal brand online. Um, And it's very much so kind of how we look at um, Tesla in a sense, or SpaceX, is that people are obsessed with Elon Musk right now. And yeah, in a really weird way. Yep. Yeah, very much so. And because of their obsession with Elon Musk, they almost blindly trust Tesla and, and the stock price SpaceX. Shows it. Yeah. And, and, you know, the hype around an individual is significantly easier to garner at today's day and age than it is around a company. Um, You know, if anybody listening to this podcast has uh, seen the Tesla Cybertruck, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say that I think that most people would look at that car and say that it's hideous. Yeah, his the pure fan. You have no idea. Friends, my friends were saying that's a great looking truck, and I'm like, what are really? you talking about? Wow, I have no idea. You must be a Tesla fan, you know, and a, a, a Musk fanboy. Like this makes no sense. Very well, could be. It's you know, it's the same thing that I saw at VaynerMedia. Um, we had people, and, and you know, this the the one thing to bear in mind here is like. It's never necessarily the person that, you know, has their personal brand like Elon or like Gary um, or even Steve Jobs is a great example. Right. When he when he was doing those product demonstrations for Apple, um, he had a very prominent personal brand. And obviously the context of what a personal brand was back then is significantly different than it is today, even though that was only a few years ago. Um, But the people that actually are the personal brands, right? The Gary Vaynerchuks and Elon Musk's of the world, they have such incredible influence over their audience. And 99% of the time, it's like a level that is jarring to everybody else. I used to literally monitor comments while I was working on Gary's team from kids all over the country or all over the world for that matter, where they would say something along the lines of, hey, Gary, I only have... Uh, you know, $3,100 in my bank account right now. And I'm going to spend $3,000 of it to show up to this dinner that you're going to be at. Um, Really looking forward to meeting you. And oh, by the way, because I'm spending $3,000 on this dinner, I won't be able to pay for college anymore. I hope I figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> and it's wow that, it's, that is a pull and a half it's baffling and, and like here's the thing is it wasn't uncommon that that's the strangest part is like you know if you got a couple of those it would be very easy to like shrug it off as like oh yeah you know that's just an outlier or you know that person's just making an irrational decision this was 
fairly frequent. Like you, you could see this stuff on a um, weekly basis where it's like every other week or every week, you could expect one of these comments to say like, hey, I'm going to make a terrible financial decision because I want to meet you for an hour. Wow. That is so, out there, obviously. Yeah, very much so. And so long, long story short, as that kind of ties into um, career, while I'm not trying to help clients, you know, build uh, fandom at a level that is like where people do things that are ridiculous and blindly trusting that it kind of works out. Um, my, my goal with all of our clients is effectively to help them build a reputation for themselves um, as a thought leader in their industry and as somebody that people can go to, right? When they think of a specific industry in the same way that when people think of entrepreneurship or they think of social media marketing, one of the first names that pops into most people's head is Gary Vaynerchuk. When people think of electric vehicles, Elon Musk is right there. When th people think of space, Elon Musk is right there. And so we're trying to build that type of ecosystem for our clients. So like Ryan Serhant, you know, who's the number one real estate agent here in New York City, who's a client of ours, um, he's becoming, you know, he has been for a while, but he's particularly right now becoming a very prominent figure in real estate. And, you know, I, I think that's in large part because when we started our work with him, he had, I want to say 840,000 followers on Instagram. And after a year, we were able to get him to 1.5 million, making him the most followed real estate agent across the globe. Uh, previously, the number one seat when we started our work with him was at like 1.2 million. And we were able to blow past that, almost doubling Ryan's audience in, you know, 12 months. Wow. It really does multiply as you were sharing with me as you get 100%. bigger and bigger. It's super exponential. It's very much so like... It's a snowball. You know, if if you can get eyeballs, the initial eyeballs are the hardest part, right? Getting people to initially care about somebody or what it is that they're doing is usually the most difficult part of that entire process. But after you get like the first two or three or four or 10, those few, if they just think that what you're doing is interesting and you're providing them with enough value via your content, that is such an easy way then to have them talk about you, you know, in other circumstances and stuff like that. And so it ends up just kind of snowballing. Everybody all of a sudden is talking to their friends about this one guy that they saw on LinkedIn or on Instagram and what it is that they're doing. And all of a sudden their friend checks them out. They end up liking their content, so on and so forth. So, so help me walk back a minute, right? So, yeah, um, you know, it, I, I understand how to dig a hole and put a tree in it. Um, yet I, I have a gardener, right? Uh, I understand how to post on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I understand how to post on things, these things. Why, why does it, you know, and, and, and obviously there's nuances, right? Mm -hmm. My, my gardener probably understands a few more things about, mm -hmm. you know, making sure the roots take, um, a, a little better and what month to, to plant my tree in and maybe some of this information is all available by Google, but I see, you know, some advantage there. I'm trying to imagine, you know, explaining to my grandmother, you know, <laughs> why would you use a company to post on social media? Um, you know, even if she gets the kind of the influencer part mm -hmm. where, you know, it, it's valuable and, um, you know, this is a media property, maybe similar to CNN in some weird ways. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to explain to somebody who's never really uh, sat with somebody else to, mm -hmm. you know, why why it makes sense for them to to move, right? So, yeah, um, maybe you can help out with some of that. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, frankly, that's actually that's a great question that I 
almost wish more people would ask because you, you usually have a mix of people, uh, at least in my experience, when it comes to people booking discovery calls and figuring out whether or not they want to hire an agency. Um, sometimes you'll come across the people where it's like, well, why should I hire somebody to post on LinkedIn for me? I already know how to post something, you know, um, or why is it important for uh, me to go through this specific process as opposed to doing it myself? And the biggest thing that you're uh, balancing there very much so with respect, like in to piggyback off of the example you gave is uh, time and experience, right? If you have a garden and you cater to that yourself, you're going to dump hours into making sure that that's a good garden and that your crops grow properly and that you're watering them when they need to be watered and that, uh, you know, you cut any weeds out. Um, on the other hand, if you don't give it enough time and attention, then things aren't going to pan out as often, right? You're, you're going to get maybe some yield from your work, but it's going to be significantly less than it otherwise would be had you been a little bit more attentive to cut out those weeds and to make sure that it was your plants were getting enough water. Uh, simultaneously, uh, there's the experience aspect. So, uh, you know, as soon as you hire that gardener, you've obviously saved yourself a lot of time, but hiring a gardener where this is the first time they've ever done their job, um, you're going to get it most likely, generally speaking, you're going to get a significantly different, uh, output, so to speak, than you would if you hired somebody who's been in the business for 10 years. Um, and that's very much so in line with what it is that we're doing. Um, you know, a, a gardener that's, has no experience and has never really planted a crop before, then trying to do that for you is, you know, you may have saved yourself time, but the quality may be just as good as it otherwise would have been had you done it yourself. Um, simultaneously, if on the other hand, you decided to hire a gardener that's been doing it for 10 years, and that, you know, has planted a variety of, variety of things from uh, pumpkins to corn to carrots to tomatoes, all of a sudden they have such a deep lexicon of knowledge that goes into, you know, in my case, what would be different industries and in their case, uh, different plants that all of a sudden when they hear what your goals are and what it is that you want your outputs to be, it's fairly easy for them to get working pretty quickly and to know exactly how to get there and what it actually takes in comparison to the person that's going to have to go back, do a lot of research, do a ton of testing and learning, and then get back. And then, you know, maybe after a few months, then they're finally headed in the right direction. So there's there's a few things there that are at play. But in the context of the social world, there are a ton of these tiny intricacies that go into building a community, right? It, it's pretty difficult to build real relationships at scale and to make thousands of different people despite never actually talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, feel connected to you just through a video or through a text post or through commenting on something and having you reply. So the expertise comes in in making sure that they do feel that way and that they feel that way so much so to the point where they're hopefully at some point in the future willing to reach out and say, hey, I would love to hire you. Or if it's in the context of like a Zoic Capital saying, hey, I would love to give you, you know, a million dollars because, you know, I... I I'm a high net worth individual and I'm looking to diversify my current uh, portfolio. Got it. That, that's helpful actually as a, an example. Um, I'm kind of curious a, a, about the process. Like, you know, it's obviously going to be different if I have hired, hired a gardener before and, mm -hmm. you know, I have a very elaborate garden with bonsai trees and pumpkins. 
um, to, to name some of yours or to add to, to some of yours to make it more complex than yeah. if I'm starting from scratch. So, you know, does it make sense for, for folks to hire you who have, you know, who are just starting a new small business as mm-hmm. opposed to who are, you know, I, I'll think about it in hotels. Um, you know, if I owned a 40 room hotel, you know, in the middle of a small city, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it wouldn't make sense to hire you, I, I would think, but maybe that's not true either. Mm-hmm. Or if I owned, you know, a, a thousand room hotel with a convention center in a bigger city, in a mid tier city, then maybe it made more sense to call you. Um, yeah, I don't it, actually know if that's true, but maybe you can help me out with some of that. Like, of course. Uh, so I, I think that is a good point. I, I think that market has a lot to do there, right? In, in the context of like hotels, for example, um, you, you're no, that's fairly probably a bad example, but I was trying to yeah. give you. A, a tough one, right? One hundred percent. You know, if if somebody reached out and they said, "Hey, I run a hotel in a small city," um, that would be a hard, uh, hard client for me to justify working with, just because you know you're limited to booking people in a small city that likely doesn't get all that much traffic. So the goal would ultimately be to uh, likely do one of two things, which is either convince people to go to that city and end up staying at that hotel or convince people that already plan on going to that city to stay at that hotel once they get there. And in the context of the first one, when you're a hotel, you have a whole lot of marketing that you need to do if you want to convince somebody to come to your city just so they end up staying at your hotel. Your hotel better be fabulous. And so if your product isn't incredible or your service isn't incredible, then we're looking at a very difficult marketing play, in which case it's definitely not worth it. Um, On the other hand, if you're in a small city and you just want to convince the people that are already coming to stay at your hotel. That's definitely easier because it, it's you can you know go through a series of targetings through Facebook ads that where you can target the people that are visiting that city, not necessarily that live there, but are just visiting from out of town. It's easy to target those people and to show or them the nice pictures of hotels. I mean, that one's a little easier to understand, right? Yeah, uh, of course. Um, and, and so in, in the context of our work, um, I would yeah, say who's that, your ideal client in your work. Yeah, uh, you know the 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 most ideal client for us are uh, you know usually companies that are post seed if they're raising capital. So we do work with a handful of tech companies, um, and usually the post seed stage is a good place to be because that way um, they're late enough to the point where they've raised some capital, they do have an actual marketing budget, and they have a good sense of direction in terms of where it is that they want to go. Um, on In terms of other contexts, usually we're looking at like medium to large size businesses, uh, anywhere between 20 employees all the way up to, you know, thousands. Um, and even then, it just depends on what the actual objectives are. So, uh, I, I can't name names here, but you know we're talking with a large publicly traded uh, tech company right now, and uh, in the context of their work, they just brought on a new CEO, and so for them, they're curious to find out whether or not our work can help them establish this new CEO and build trust in their company, despite there being this transition. Because obviously, when you're publicly traded, transitioning from one CEO to another 
is inherently going to be a little bit of a messy or skeptical process from investors and from the outside market. And you want to make sure that people are inherently going to trust you. And one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that people actually know who this person is and to feel like they know them on a one-on-one basis and that they can interact with them and the best way where we have found out that we can do so is just by, you know, going about different content marketing efforts and uh, posting that on LinkedIn and then expanding their network on LinkedIn, connecting with people, replying to comments, sending messages so that all of a sudden, not only do people feel like, wow, okay, this guy is active and he's really talking to us. Um, but simultaneously, we know a little bit about him. We know his experience in the field, but we also know about a couple of things that he likes to do back at home with his family. Uh, we know that he's passionate about sh- fishing because he's mentioned it a couple of times and eventually in a weird way this becomes more like a friendship than it does uh like a business relationship i can almost equate it to the first time that i met gary i had been consuming sorry for those of us on our podcast who don't know who gary vanderchuk is do you mind giving a little background i think there's gonna be a few (laughs) yeah i 100 uh so my former boss uh, is a guy named gary vanderchuk he runs a company a holding company called vayner x which is best known for its agency vayner media um and gary is a very colorful uh entrepreneur that has a bright vocabulary um and and <laughs> he swears a lot. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. And he, he likes to be aggressive and in your face. He has a lot of confidence, very high energy. Um, and generally speaking, what you see on video, and I can say this with confidence, is exactly what you get in person. Um, the only caveat to that that I think a lot of people forget is that what you see on social media tends to be like the highlight reel. Um, but the majority of what you'll see on somebody like Gary's Instagram page is what you're actually getting in person. And so Gary's uh, this entrepreneur now based here in New York City. Uh, he runs VaynerMedia, which does about $200 million a year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's a 1,000 person uh, marketing agency. And uh, yeah, you know, outside of that, he's a five times New York Times bestselling author. He invested in uh, Facebook and Uber and Venmo when they were very early stage amongst a few other companies. And so that, that's more or less the gist of who he is. Um, but how that relates to what I was saying is that the first time that I met Gary in person, it was this weird moment where despite meeting him for the first time, I already felt like I knew him, you know, it, <laughs> right. it, it was so right. strange, man. It, I, I, it's such a difficult, um, it's kind of like if you are walking down the street and you see somebody that looks super familiar, um, you know, but you just can't put your finger on it. It's similar to that, but still not quite because this was a circumstance where I felt like I knew him and I could walk up to him and just say, Hey Gary, you know, it's me, Calvin. But you know, of course he's going to be like, well, who the hell are you? Um, and so (laughs) that's, that's the power of personal branding is creating a relationship where people feel like they know you and they want to talk to you. But you know, it's this, this weird dynamic where, Oftentimes, the person on the other end has no idea who you are. The amount of people that fanboy Elon Musk and would love to be best buddies with him um, are, you know, undoubtedly Elon has no idea that even 5% of those people exist, you know? Um, And so for that to be the circumstance where they now feel like they know this guy, despite having never even seen him in real life, is incredible. And that's kind of like the power of content online. 
Got it. So you actually really like, let, let's use uh, uh, Satya Nadella as an example, because uh, he just, you know, became the CEO of Microsoft a few years ago. If you were help- and he, you know, happens to uh, under his umbrella have LinkedIn. Um, if you were helping Satya out, you would you would actually learn more about all of his hobbies actually from him, and you would make sure that you incorporated those into um, all of the uh, conversation, right? Like, so you know, he loves to run, for instance, in the morning. He, you know, he's got a child with a, a disability. You, you would you would be mentioning those things occasionally on his social media, so people actually got to know who he really was. Yeah, in, in many circumstances, and and that's actually I, I like that you're mentioning that because. Um, you know, different people have different tolerances for that. Um, and, and a very good example is that, you know, in, in the context of Gary, um, his family life is very difficult to learn about. Uh, despite being as big as he is and having cameras on him, uh, you know, pre-COVID-19, uh, about 12 hours a day where they're recording the entire day and all of his meetings and all of his calls. And then they put that out into a daily vlog as well as, you know, a hundred different other pieces of content. He doesn't show any aspect of his personal life, his family life. He doesn't show his wife. He doesn't show his kids. Um, so if you had, if you had Satya and he didn't mm-hmm. show those things, for instance, uh, as your client, mm-hmm. um, what kind of other personal things do you share? I guess you share that he's got a love for reading or mm-hmm. that Absolutely. he you know, has actually, he probably has a massive passion for technology from what I understand. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, from, yeah, that's a good one. I, I'd hope so. You know, being the yeah. CEO of Microsoft. <laughs> no, I, I think he reads what I had way more than most CEOs uh, is my impression, right? Like, is that uh, right? Okay. Yeah. Like, like I, I, my, I almost kind of think he could be getting a PhD regularly in like, you know, what's cutting edge. And he's not <laughs> okay. talking about AI and neural nets. You know, he's like 10 years ahead of us. Okay. Uh, gotcha. And that's, at least that's what I got the impression he was normally like before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is that the kind of stuff you'd start to share more about if he didn't want to share the family stuff and yeah, the running very and much all of so. it? It's more or less like the easiest way to put it is it's a list of do's and don'ts, you know? Um, think about what it would be like if you got to go, uh, if you got to have a speaking engagement every night of the week, right? Monday through Friday, every night you had a new speaking engagement and you just got to talk about whatever it is that you wanted to talk about. And, you know, the, the audience that shows up may vary, you know, by a couple of hundred people or thousands or whatever the case is, depending on how big the personal brand is. Right. Um, but you get to talk about whatever you want to, what are you comfortable with talking about at, at public? What is, what are the topics where you can, you know, tell a funny story but it also has some sort of valuable ending where the, somebody can take away some specific insight. Or what are the uh, what are the habits that you have throughout your day? Or maybe you have a specific morning routine that you want to share with people because it's been particularly impactful on your life and you can explain how. Um, and then outside of that, what do you do for work? And what's the goal with your work? Why is it impactful? What's the purpose there? And, you know, what are the micro processes that happen on a day-to-day basis that make up the machine that is the machine that you're running? Um, those are the things that we typically hit on. And the questions of, you know, what to share versus what not to share, that's largely up to our client in most circumstances where it's just like, what would you be comfortable saying on a stage? And if you're not comfortable saying it on a stage, then it's probably off limits. And on the other side of things like, 
you know, in terms of the, we, we do try to get somewhat personal with our clients, but the level of personal anecdotes and stories is relatively minimal in comparison to the uh, aspects of thought leadership and talking about industry uh, and things. And is there a rule of thumb about that? Like, you know, 20 to one or 10 to one or not, not necessarily uh, because the way that it's kind of mixed in is it's not necessarily always separate pieces of content, right? Uh, You, you don't go. So if you were to create uh, 20 LinkedIn posts, my advice to you wouldn't be to, uh, create 19 LinkedIn posts about your industry and then one about like a random story. It would more so to be uh, create your 20 LinkedIn posts. And then if you can think about something that happened over the past month or that you read recently that can be plugged into those topics, because then all of a sudden when you're explaining um, a specific process at your company or you're talking about this industry trend that you noticed, or maybe, uh, you know, here's an example is I just got an, uh, an aura ring, if you're familiar I am familiar and I'm helping um, architect a study right now that will end up using aura ring for overall health. Oh, there you go. Um, so I just got an aura ring and I'm very obsessive about my morning and evening routines and making sure that I get enough sleep. And so, you know, me talking about why those things are important in the context of business is a is a good way to kind of show broader expertise and that I more or less have, you know, good input when it comes to how to run a business and uh, how to become a thought leader, so to speak. But then simultaneously, I could briefly mention like, by the way, I have an aura ring. I just got it recently and I really like it. That's a piece of content or that's a like little snippet within a piece of content that isn't by itself inherently valuable. It's more or less just like a referral to a company, right? Like, hey, do you want to buy a $300 ring? It's expensive and it helps you track your sleep. It can be unnecessary in many cases, but it provides like those little snippets of extra things. Or like at the beginning of this content or uh, this podcast, uh, me mentioning that, you know, I like Japanese whiskey. It's like those simple, silly things that like build up your profile and that all of a sudden people really feel like they get to know you by the end of, you know, watching a few videos or reading an article or something So just like that. to keep everybody hanging, we're not going to go into any stories about Azim Premji today, right? <laughs> I, I wouldn't know enough of them. Yeah. Maybe my dad can we'll just, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave them hanging on that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, that's super helpful as a, as a way to start to, to think about it. Because I, you know, I think a lot of people don't really have an understanding of where to start. And um, it was interesting. I was talking to Rick Sasari, who's an advisor to us, who's just, you know, killed it in marketing. And he was saying, you know, the change in marketing over the last couple of decades has been that there's specialization everywhere, where before you could just be a generalist, you can be a generalist now, but as a generalist, you got to hire the best in every space. And he started talking about different people. And he mentioned you and I said, yeah, you know, I'd actually like to meet that guy and learn a little bit about him. And so um, it was interesting that he noted you as being one of the best in the space, right? Because your company's <laughs> fairly new, right? Even though you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, so we we founded the company in uh, July of last year. So we've only been around for about a, a year, year now. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, you know, aside from that, I did have a... Uh, 
I, I did create a company very similar to the one that I run now. Uh, as soon as I left VaynerMedia, uh, there was another employee at Vayner that left around the same time that I did. And we kind of thought, hey, you know, maybe we should start something together. And after a couple of months, it became very clear to me that uh, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on where we wanted to take this thing. So we decided to part ways, you know, no hard feelings. And then I've kind of started over, but uh, now with notice. But, um, you know, in large part, I think that being uh, positioned now, you know, and I'm, I'm very humbled to hear that Rick thought that, uh, you know, we are the best in our industry. Um, yeah, I think that a lot, a large part of that comes from me piggybacking my reputation off of having worked for Gary at VaynerMedia since he's such a prominent personal brand. I was able to use that reputation to kind of gain a few big name clients very quickly after leaving, uh, ranging from Ryan Serhant to uh, David Meltzer, or Jim Quick. And then shortly thereafter, you know, once you have a few big names like that, other people are bound to show some sort of interest. Um, I, I kind of make the joke every once in a while, well, where... I usually treat LinkedIn profiles, for example, more as a sales landing page than as a resume or traditional LinkedIn profile as most people think of them to you know, demonstrate your experiences. Um, I think of it as a way to, yes, show, your, show off your experience, talk about your expertise, and then talk about the things that give you credibility. Because by the end of somebody reading your about section or seeing what your description is at your company and what it is that you do, there should at least be an somewhat of an urge, you know, whether they're dying to do so or if they're just slightly interested to send you an email or get on a call with you, assuming that they're the right audience. Um, that That's more or less the goal. And so for us and for myself, it's always been how do you position yourself in a manner where people are going to look at you and say, wow, he really knows what he's talking about or he really knows what he's doing. And in large part, that has been talking about the success stories that we've had as a company. And a lot of those has, have taken place, you know, again, within the past 12 months since we've started and it's gone, it's gone very quickly, um, but all in, all in good ways. I, I, I'm curious, how do most of your clients find you? Um, because, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, it was good, but you didn't have, you know, the million followers I expected you to have, <laughs> right? Um, I, I know you're not focused on it, or you would. Uh -huh. I just, you know, how do most people end up finding you? Like, how's most business? How did this Fortune 500 company find you? Yeah, uh, so. As context, obviously, I'd mentioned this in our call uh, yesterday, where, as context for anybody listening, that I don't necessarily work nearly as much as I should on my personal brand, which is a little ironic. Uh, it's the thing that I sell and that uh, we're getting some great results uh, for our clients in, yet simultaneously, like I'm, I'm dropping the ball there and I'm open to admitting that just because it's something I need to improve upon. So that's well, a- Well, you, you don't need the inbound business is what that means. You're not really dropping the ball there. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's a very fair point. Um, it's something that frankly, I do feel like I should be doing uh, only because- it almost feels bad to me. To, yeah, I got it. But like, what, what's the number one way most of your customers come in? Is it just referral? Referral is huge. Absolutely. Referral and then uh, any sort of kind of organic traffic. Um, so referral is definitely number one. We probably get 70% of our business, if not 80% of our new business through referrals. 
and or or just like general interest uh so that that's definitely big for us where you know we we have some clients that are fairly successful and when we've done very good work for them they're pretty quick to mention it to their clients uh you know about the type of work that we've done with them uh and we have a couple of partner agencies that we work with and when we do good work on behalf of our partner agencies as well their clients are then saying good things about having partnered up with us um so referrals is absolutely huge because after you have one big client that has a decent network that can then make a referral to somebody else in their network that you know has a good network you it's pretty exponential almost in the same way as how social growth is um but aside from that the other thing would probably be just organic traffic where it's not necessarily inbound referral where you know we have a client or a potential client that's saying good things about us but you know people stumbling across my linkedin page or finding my instagram because you know i was featured in a daily v in one of gary's videos or something like that just randomly kind of stumbling across briefly reading on my experience and background and then deciding to reach out got it that's super helpful context mm-hmm. Um, Calvin, what else should, should people know about you and, uh, the stuff you guys are doing at notice? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, right now, to be honest, like we're entirely focused on really nailing down our service. Uh, we offer what we call our notice incubator. It's a six month personal branding incubator, which is more or less like a full service, uh, marketing for personal brands. And uh, we're really just trying to nail that down. We want to become a very customer experience centric agency and we want to bring our team entirely in-house, which is momentarily put on hold due to uh, coronavirus. But, um, <laughs> right. uh, you know, after after things kind of settle, that's that's the goal there. And then after that, we kind of want to play into the education space, which I think will be interesting. Um, you know, one of the big things that I've always been particularly passionate about is that I hate that there's even any level of barrier to entry with working with a marketing agency, for example. Like in the perfect world, I wish that any company that I thought was interesting and that, you know, had a very purpose-driven initiative or product or service um, that we could work with. I, I would love to be in that position where financially that was a possibility. But frankly, it's just that's very difficult in the agency space just because overhead is always so high. But, you know, ideally what we're looking to do is after we get the agency and the client service side of things into a very good place, we're wanting to almost immediately branch off into courses and help people understand how they themselves uh, can learn personal branding and then execute upon that. And even if the you know executives at different companies aren't learning that, hopefully they can hire somebody and tell them to take this course so that that person then has like the checklist that they need to go through and they can get develop a very deep understanding of what it takes to build a successful and powerful personal brand on LinkedIn. Wow, a, a lot to digest, but I guess that's why people call you. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's that like that's the thing is honestly the biggest opportunity right now, in my opinion. Like running an agency, uh, it, it sounds fun because it's easy to bootstrap, and really your success is predicated on how hard you're willing to work, and uh, you know how many clients or potential clients you're willing to reach out to or try to sell. Uh, in most cases, at least. 
But on paper, like the level of overhead you have, especially if you're in a city like New York, where things are inherently expensive, you know, hiring a full-time analyst is 60 to $75,000 a year. Um, Office space is crazy expensive, although it's been dropping lately because of the coronavirus. Um, So while it's fun and it's really helping me get even more experience, having left VaynerMedia now, uh, both in terms of being an entrepreneur and in terms of servicing newer businesses or new businesses that you know aren't Fortune 500 companies that we used to work with at VaynerMedia or aren't very successful personal brands like Gary. Uh, outside of that, it's not very scalable. You know, as you want to take on more clients, you have to hire more people. And as you hire more people, you have to get a larger office space or, you know, have everybody work remotely. And when people work remotely, it's more, it becomes more and more difficult to keep company culture. And so there are a bunch of these hurdles that you have to get over at any given point in time as you scale. But on the other hand, when it comes to creating educational content and, you know, selling online courses that then help people themselves learn how to do these things or they can hire somebody that can learn how to do these things that is extremely scalable because digital assets inherently don't really cost anything except for the time that it takes to create them right Um, where can people find you uh biggest channel would be linkedin for sure uh on linkedin you can find me calvin hamilton is my linkedin uh my title on there is ceo and co-founder of notice and your, and your co-founder, what's your co-founder's name? Marvin Sanjimes. He is our uh, chief marketing officer, CMO. And he, he's also on LinkedIn. You want to spell his name out? Because that's not... <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be M-A-R-V-I-N, Marvin. And then Sanjimes is S-A-N-G-I-N-E-S. And I hope I didn't spell that wrong because he would kill me. <laughs> I doubt you spelled it wrong. Um, <laughs> and, and notice is probably pretty easy to, to type in. And uh, notice is just N O T U S. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Hey, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, if you liked our episode today, please go ahead and visit your local podcast host and give us a five-star rating. We really would appreciate it. We'd love to bring you more guests. And uh, if you have any requests or suggestions, also feel free to leave that in the comments where you rate us and we will talk to you soon. Until then, be well and be safe.